We all love a good henge, Stonehenge, Woodhenge, Seahenge, Averyhenge, etc., etc. And now apparently Manhattanhenge. Thank you, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Shameful. But, <laughs> but what exactly is a henge? And more importantly, what do we make it mean when we call something a henge? Let's talk about that, don't you think, Mr. Sosky? I think we really should. Before we start off, a word of thanks to our Patreon supporters for being our guinea pigs for a lot of the ideas and shows that actually make its way on <laughs> onto uh, YouTube. Because I, we wouldn't be having this conversation now, would we, Rupert, if it hadn't been for the regular monthly, uh, weekly indeed, weekly uh, podcast that we do just for our Patreon supporters called The Monday Moot. And uh, we sort of... Yes. Um, we, we sort of test our ideas, and sometimes they're so good they actually make it out into the <laughs> the wider world, like this one has. Yes, well, yes. that good. Yes, well, it's it's surprising actually how many things that you just you take for granted because they're just they've been mm. there forever, and it's only when somebody asks a specific question yeah. that you realise that okay, no, that does warrant uh, further. Yeah investigation so yes this is uh, anyway uh, thanks to our patreon supporters uh, for your support and your sufferance much appreciated <laughs> anyway yes. to the subject in in hand the word henge henges whatever where to start well we could start with uh, with just our basic definition now couldn't yeah. we and then you can uh well, uh, the, 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 how did the word get made in the first place? How did the word it, it, it yes. itself come into existence in the first right, place? I think that's the order. best yes. way, yeah. Because yeah. the definition became after, came after the word was already in existence and in, in use. Yeah. Yes. So yes. that way around. In fact, what, what we understand mm. today, good Lord, does it have a, a misty mm. past. Um, from between the wars, in fact. In fact, you've got all those dates in front of you, haven't you? Oh, yes. Well, if, yes, we're talking about the origins of the word. The word was first coined, first used uh, in a book called uh, Archaeology uh, in England and Wales, uh, 1914 to 1931, um, i.e. The, between the, the war years, uh, written by um, Thomas Kendrick. Um, oh, well, I've forgotten the fellow that wrote it with him. So... <clears throat> But they, they wrote separate chapters, so the other fellow whose name I've forgotten and I'll probably put on the screen now uh, doesn't take credit for this because he didn't write the particular chapter that in which the, the word henge was coined. Now, the interesting thing is that Thomas Kendrick, who uh, later went on to be the general curator thingy of, of the British Museum, you know, so he was up there, it didn't set out to create a new word. He just used the, the he, he shortened it. He took it from Stonehenge and Woodhenge, which are already in, in general use, but he used it at the heading of a chapter in order to organise some of the uh, topics, some of the subject matter that had arisen in the, those interwar years where archaeology had been going on. So it's just a sort of handy, uh, sort of shorthand to group some monuments together. Um, so uh, it, 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 the, the title of the chapter, it's chapter 7, 
in that book, and it's called The Henge Monuments, in inverted commas. So he's conscious of it's just, I'm making this up just for the time being, because it's, he's, he, and he says, under this rather curious heading, I'm going to group a number of prehistoric sacred places which I cannot or dare not sort out into period chapters. I choose the title, of course, because Stonehenge and Woodhenge come first in the list. That's it. Yes, and then we have nearly a century mm. of, uh, of a word being used when it had no basis yeah. on anything other than a, a man's personal uh, note. And it, later it's, on, in, uh, interestingly, later on in that introduction, <laughs> he apologises to readers for including Avebury, Dorrington Walls, Dorchester, and uh, and and one other, which of course later go on to be absolute uh, uh, henges. Yeah. Um, so we could go on about the origins of that for some time. You know, we're, we're excluding the origins of. You know the the creation of the word Stonehenge because that's something completely different because the, you know the, where the word is derived from that, that's a different the etymology of Stonehenge is a, is a different matter but henge <clears throat> in the way we use it is is another matter now the thing is um, that's its beginnings in the 1930s but where are we now what do we understand there is a a definition which is quite, quite separate from the way it seems to be used outside in the real world. So what's uh, the technical definition that's come to be adopted and how did it become to be adopted in the archaeological world? Uh, well, yes, I mean, technically, a henge is a, is a circular uh, monument. Don't like to use the word monument, but we'll use it. Uh, that, is, uh, that has a, a ditch and an outer bank. Uh, that's basically it. And uh, they are, are 20 metres and over. Uh, things smaller than that are very often referred to as henge form. Yes. Um, <clears throat> uh, just to confuse the issue. Mm. <laughs> but uh, yes, it's a circular monument with a, uh, a ditch and a bank outside that ditch, mm. which is why um, Stonehenge isn't that a henge, is what because the bank is... Outside the yes, ditch. and that is what has come to be, uh, strictly, uh, strictly speaking, which is why, as in the title here, Stonehenge is not a henge. How <laughs> on earth did that come to be? I think uh, Stonehenge mm. sort of gets looped under a subheading called Protohenge. <laughs> yes, 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 it did. Yeah. It is. Um, which I confess, before we decided that we'd do this, I hadn't even registered that. Mm. Mm. Uh, I can't tell a lie. Uh, so a proto-henge, because it was amongst the earliest, apparently. It, yeah. Um, but by that definition, Stonehenge is not, not a henge, having its bank on the it's... outside. I think there's a, a, a lesser bank outside that uh, outer ditch, but that's another matter entirely. Mm. So um, the truth of the matter is... <clears throat> that we can lay the blame for a lot of the confusion, I think, at the foot of our friend, <laughs> Professor Timothy <laughs> Darville, because we hadn't realised this before we started investigating. Uh, we, we said, we're lost, Tim. 
we're I was sent an email. We're lost. We're doing this thing about hinges. We didn't know, don't know what happened to the word and how it got defined. And he sort of emails back saying, "Well, I know." <laughs> yes. <laughs> it turns out he's written uh, three fifteen-page documents. You know, forty-five pages in all. Uh, as a definitive document for English heritage to use as a, as a definition. so Quite some time ago. Quite some time it? ago, 1989. Uh, and it's very technical and, uh, and detailed, um, you know, which so archaeologists understand each other and know what language they're using inside you know, the, the discipline. Um, uh, needs must be. Um, but that's where the confusion arises, how you get from a word derived from Stonehenge that ultimately excludes Stonehenge, mm. you know, the head explodes slightly. However, however, mm. all that aside, that you know, all that's, that's nice and very esoteric. This is all of a bit esoteric, really, come to think of it, but we hope you find it interesting nonetheless. So, but how does that word henge get used in the real world? How does it, how, how is it used in common parlance? And how, what does it make it, when we call something a henge, what are we thinking about? What, what, what does, what do we make it mean that a monument is a henge? It's interesting, <clears throat> isn't it? Because... It, I think there's, there's a very different understanding between archaeologists and people who actually uh, have a, a knowledge of archaeology who understand the technical definition mm. of henge. But I think um, out there in the wider world, then uh, that understanding just completely falls by the wayside. I mean, the very facts that you mentioned, you know, at, at the top of the uh, the show that there's now Neil deGrasse Tyson has called. The sun streaming up. Uh, which road is it? It's called Manhattan. It's, Henge. The, <clears throat> it's not a road in particular. It's the east-west orientation of the grid system, which creates okay. this uh, phenomenon. Um, you know, a, a particular. So the very fact that uh, that that could have been coined a henge. Uh, what is he referencing there? You know, the, a, a reference to <clears throat> the sun's passage in the sky, which actually has. Very, very little to do with henges. It's more to do with other monuments entirely. <laughs> well, except so it really just doesn't <clears throat> com confuse the. He issue. relates it to a visit to Stonehenge when he was fifteen, apparently. You know, and uh, the alignment of of Stonehenge, uh, basically. So there we go, and that kind of feeds into my uh, conjecture, my uh, my thought that um, because. The word henge is derived from Stonehenge. When we call something a henge, we bring a lot of baggage with us from Stonehenge and, uh, and impose it on whatever we've given the name to. And because Stonehenge is anomalous in its own right, <clears throat> and of all the uh, uh, circular earthworks, monuments, call them what you will, because of its particular arrangements and its uniqueness, it is fair to say that the <clears throat> whatever went on there was ceremonial. It may have been a temple of some sort. It may have been ritual of some sort. 
And because in this country we've got all sorts of baggage associated with that, we blame William Stukeley and, uh, you know, in the association with the Druids. And John Aubrey. Uh, and uh, John Aubrey, all those. And because of this embedded uh, association with, with the Druids, that when we apply the word henge to something, it suddenly takes on uh, this um, uh, spiritual and uh, quasi-religious um, aspect to it. Um, yes, am I mystical. Yeah. Wrong in that, do you think? Or No, 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 do, I yeah. think it's absolutely right. And mm. in fact, we use these words, you know, ritual and ceremonial, with, if we're brutally honest, not one scrap of evidence to actually support that interpretation. Mm. Uh, and, and no evidence at all. Mm. Uh, so it's interesting how that's just developed over time. Mm. Um, and our interpretations of them are uh, something quite different a lot of the time. But like so many sites, you know, undoubtedly multi-purpose and probably mm. the, the function changing over periods of time because mm. they were certainly in use for fairly lengthy periods of time. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yes, yeah, so we're, we're, we're stuck with this, well, not stuck with, you know, that definition of, of a circular, almost arena-style setting mm. with, a, a, with a ditch uh, surrounding this central plateau and then an outer bank. Mm. Well, there's all manner of uses, that, of functions, that you could uh, hypothesise yeah. for that. And ritual and ceremonial is... That you could, uh, and you're probably, if you're familiar with our thinking, uh, you'll know that we definitely do. Yes, yes. Um, But that's another another programme, that's another whole other thing. This is another programme. I I think there are certain uh, particularly interesting things uh, that can be said about the structures of henges, though, that... uh, People have uh, have debated a lot uh, in the past about the functions of multi-ditched henges. So, for example, uh, you know henges that can have two ditches or three ditches, even. And the interesting thing there is that uh, you know they've often been theorised as as being just you know fancy henges that there was some ritual purpose for making an extra ditch. But if you look at under, underlying geology, then that sort of points you in a different direction, uh, in our view, anyway. That so, for example, if you take somewhere like um, Abingdon in Oxfordshire, I believe, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and uh, now Abingdon is a double-ditched uh, henge, and it's overlying gravel. Now, if you dig down uh, uh, too far, then uh, then the, the gravel, it's its overlying a bedrock, it's just going to collapse. So what do you do if you want a higher bank? Uh, will you dig an outer ditch, uh, dig a second ditch that will give you sufficient um, soil for, uh, uh, for the bank? Now, um, it, an interesting thing that, uh, that actually uh, reinforces that argument is that the inner ditch is actually quite neat. And circular, and the outer ditch is all over the place, which means that if it's if it's designed for people to be looking inwards, then the tidiness of inside is important, but outside the ditch was purely to gain more soil, so didn't need to be tidy. Nobody's looking at that. Mm. And uh, another site called Condicote, uh, Condicote, it, that's overlying. 
uh, that's basically clay soils overlying a very solid limestone bedrock. So digging down to get sufficient soil, it's just shallow soil, so they would need more ditches to create the height of the bank. Mm. Uh, so, you know, the double-ditch hinges, it's functional. It's not, uh, it's not mystical in any mm. way, in our mm. view. Okay, mm. right. So you, you've gone a bit uh, deep there. I mean, this is a wonderful is material yeah. for, you know, <laughs> when we are talking about our hypotheses about hinges. We've got so much material about on mm. that. However, going back a bit, it is my contention that this baggage that is associated with the very word itself, um, where, you know, out in the public sphere, fair enough, you know, you get what you're given, but... I think it pervades in archaeologists' minds as well, so that there is a default position whenever they're examining, uh, you know, a, a circular earthwork. That there's uh, it automatically, it's associated with henge, with Stonehenge, with ritual, with druids. Not consciously necessarily, but it, but. It, it, the brain goes first to thinking about it as a a religious site, a ceremonial site, a ritual site, for which you there's no escape. You can't prove it one way or the other. You're stuck there. Uh, instead of thinking, for instance, oh, was this something to do with farming, with herding <laughs> cattle? You know, just something like that, which you can. You know, you've got a you've got a slight chance, some chance of proving whether or not, or you know, uh, getting evidence for it or not. You know, which it seems a much more constructive point of view from from our, from our point of view, uh, yeah. a way of approaching these things. It's, it's, and, um, what and we're trying to do, what we're trying to do, is strip away this mystique, that strip away the connotations of this of this word. So. Uh, we mm. can approach the subject a bit more uh, cleanly without all this uh, this baggage. You yes. can't take that away in the public sphere. Uh, of course, you know, a henge is a henge is a henge is a, and, you know, will forever be what people use it for. It becomes mm. common parlance. It's really, really hard to shift that. I think it doesn't <clears throat> help at all that we refer to these sites, not just henges, but any of the prehistoric sites, we refer to them as monuments. Monuments. Uh, and, we could know, do another programme about monuments. As monument. a monument to something, uh, yeah. then you give it uh, you know, a grandiose position that maybe it never had. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think we should stop calling things monuments. We'll have to think of uh, a lot of nouns that we... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. can, well, you uh, know, you saying noun... You you saying noun? Oh yes, I think, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's worth saying uh, verb, uh, because Scottish archaeologist Kenny Brophy, um, uh, you know, now Kenny says that that it should be a verb, henging. You know, if you give something a ditch and a bank, then yeah. you have henged a, a site. And to me, that makes a lot of sense because, um, you know, then whether it's Stonehenge not technically being a henge, okay, but it's been henged. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, it's to give something a ditch in a bank, and that could apply to uh, other places. You know, a cursus, you know, with an mm. outer ditch, for example, mm. and mm. bank. Uh, that yeah, I think hinging should be a verb. I think it's really <laughs> helpful to think that way. It breaks the, it, things apart. You know, sort of has them be uh, looked at in a different light. Yeah. Before we sort of round this up, I think. It, to further emphasise what we're talking about, 
we think um, you know, Stonehenge, very English, obviously. Woodhenge, just down the road, very English. But henge is uh, an English word. And the thing is, there are um, earthwork enclosures on the continent which are entirely similar to what we name henges. They've never, ever been called henges on the continent, <laughs> obviously. Um, and, I mean, the word that is used, the German word, Kreisgrabenanlagen, or the simple word uh, rondel, tells you almost everything you can know about what they are, like they're round and they've got ditches and banks and that's the end of it. And there is no romance associated with the, the uh, names used on the continent with, with these things. And therefore, they tend to be approached, tend to be, I say, uh, uh, approached in a more pragmatic fashion, you know, in, in terms of their association with settlements and, uh, and their possible usage for those uh, settlements. That said... Um, we're very conscious of the fact that the vast majority of them uh, are predate our own Stonehenge by what, about a thousand or fifteen hundred years. So you know, way before but Stonehenge, why should that surprise were... us when we know that we've had <laughs> migrations of people coming into Britain uh, from uh, from uh, continental Europe? Uh, it makes sense that they'd be later catching up on yeah. themselves um, but uh, it, it is very interesting I think that not just with henges but uh, so you're talking about the, the pragmatic uh, yeah. you know and uh, naming of sites you know that rondels and roundels uh, you know whichever uh, the, the same applies though to some of the houses that are found in in Eastern Europe they are regarded as houses whereas mm pretty much without exception when anything gets found in Britain it's called a temple we just have a yeah. different attitude to things um, yes yeah. mm. now interestingly and just to nail my earlier point, uh, point about how you know archaeological thinking can be influenced and you know I, I'm, this is what I, I take it may or may not be true uh, but uh, Pamelta which is also included in the Kreisgraben and Lagen sort of uh, bucket, if if you were, was actually contemporary. It's a very very much later uh, monument uh, on the continent, um, with a, a ditch and banks, several ditches and banks, uh, and timber uh, constructions on the uh, inside, and this is contemporary with Stonehenge. Now. Because there's a tourism aspect involved here, there has been quite a drive to associate Pomelta with Stonehenge. And the site of Pomelta has therefore been embellished because there's a, there's a complete reconstruction of it. In, uh, with, and it's been painted, it's got carved skulls in, in the posts, it's got designs and, you know, the, the, quite reasonably, the designs they've taken from the, the pottery of the time, you know, what designs were on the pottery they've incorporated. But they're very much, and I use the word advisedly, selling it as a ritual site. 
because they want that it's Germany's Stonehenge. They want it associated with Stonehenge. Yes, and on uh, that basis, uh, and they've given it lintels, timber they've lintels. Given it lintels. It's the only place no that uh, that anybody has done that, as far as I'm aware. Mm. And obviously, there can be no archaeological evidence to support that. You couldn't possibly say that uh, a site had timber lintels. It's uh, there's there would be mm. nothing to show. So it's, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's uh, am I am I unreasonable to say that I think it's even a little bit naughty uh, to have reconstructed it in that way? Mm. Maybe you know it's um, it's certainly you're running your flags up the flagpost, isn't it? And uh, once it's done, it's done, and uh, yeah. people's minds will be, I think, well, this is how it was. Well, no, don't think so. Mm. So, all right, folks, has that been controversial enough for you? Has that stirred the pot a little bit? Uh, I hope you see where we're coming from on this uh, this whole subject. And, um, you know, as we say, <laughs> dig a little deeper. Yes. It's not quite as simple as... I, no, I was hoping that it would have clarified looked. things, but now I'm, I'm thinking, <laughs> have we clarified anything? Yeah, henge, uh, circuit monument, ditch, <laughs> ditch inside the bank. That's a henge. No, uh, we've... <laughs> we just completely muddied the waters, Rupert. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, it's our, our job. Anyway, whichever we've done, clarified stuff, muddied stuff for you, disappointed you or enlightened you. Uh, thank you. Thank you for, for watching, folks. Thank you again to our Patreon supporters. Uh, yes, we'll see you around soon. Um, and with that, I think it's time to say goodbye. And see you next time. <laughs> Cheers, thanks. Bye. Bye.